0: That's a good point. Well, John Hamer, why don't you bring us back to the Slate article and sort of how there's any relevance to this polygamy discussion today and today's politics, today's legal climate, etc. Right. So
1: we were, and I guess we're gonna have a link to it on the site. But we were reading, and we were. There's been a bunch of articles on uh, polygamy lately, and it's not only just uh, fundamentalist Mormon polygamy, but also, I think we were, as we were just kind of alluding to, that there's now a fairly substantial Muslim population in the United States, and Islam also, uh, it's licit to have polygamy, although they also, most most Muslims um, have the same sort of thing that LDS doctrine has, which you have to obey the law of the land, and so in the case of uh, polygamy, since that's not legal in the United States, they're theoretically not supposed to be practicing polygamy in the United States. And so the article was actually making the point that um, that was actually a comfortable thing for many American Muslims, because American Muslims aren't, even though it's licit in their religion to be polygamous, they're not necessarily keen on having, being able to practice it. And I'm sure that most mainstream Mormons feel the same way. If, if suddenly polygamy were legal in the United States, the last thing that um, is going to happen in the LDS Church is that you know they'll, they'll go back to allowing uh, polygamy to be practiced. And so then the other, the other thing that I thought we might uh, talk about is just this, the, the general question of whether or not um, polygamy might be uh, legalized or what the difference between uh, polygamy legalization and decriminalization is. And I think Tom was already alluding to that.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe one of the best places to start is, is uh, something I like to emphasize on my show a lot, is that the only laws that count are the laws that are enforced. And with the exception of Tom Green, um, polygamy, the actual bigamy laws themselves are no longer enforced. And if you talk to um, the attorney generals in, in, in Utah and Arizona, they'll openly tell you this. They're they're not looking to prosecute bigamy itself. And the reason they don't is because they want to open up these communities and ferret out some of these other problems that have have been there for a while. So formally... Polygamy is still illegal in the United States. In practice, it's a, it, it's at least decriminalized in, in in that regard. Does that make sense? At least would be right. the, so the distinction, right?
1: So the distinction between yeah legalization and decriminalization is if it's if something is decriminalized, it means you're not going to be arrested for it. Whereas if it's actually we go through the process of legalizing it, then you have to set up an entire legal code to regulate it. And people immediately right. say, "Well, I don't care what consenting adults do. I don't care if people, you know, eight people all get married to each other. Well, you don't. Maybe you don't care about that. But it, it, so, in other words, you don't want to arrest people for that. But it, it's a, that's a far cry from saying, well, I want to set up a legal code so that we can figure out how if one of those person people gets divorced from the other people, well, we we know how to the divorce settlement, how property is going to be settled, how who has custody rights to parents. If you have two, you know, two women married to one man and." and the man dies, you know, and, and anyway, and there was a third woman, and, the, you know, who gets the child of the third of the two people, the parents that are dead, are the two women that are left still married to each other, or what? You know, there's a whole bunch of issues that come with, with legalization that's different from decriminalization.
2: Sure, yeah, and that's, a lot of times, too, uh, guys, I think it's interesting when people try to draw parallels between the movement to legalize same-sex marriage and plural marriage, because I'm not sure that either of the groups are really interested in terms of of the law in the same thing. The, the general read, and you guys jump in on this, I'd love your feedback, on, on fundamentalist Mormons is they're not really interested in that kind of definition of code that John just talked about, while same-sex couples are. So uh, most Mormon fundamentalists are interested in just the government leaving them alone, while the, the same-sex movement is more interested in having a formal recognition and defined rights and those types of things.
0: Yeah, when I interviewed Ann Wilde, she definitely said we don't we don't give a hoot if the government legitimizes polygamy. We don't even we don't even want to ask for it or fight for it. I, I guess they're they're so they're probably so alienated from uh affection towards US law that it wouldn't even occur to them to try and uh appeal or uh even defer that they recognize that authority. Um yeah but I, but I can but tell you, as, you know, Go ahead. Well, yeah I
1: can tell you as I can tell you myself as the gay man that you know that it is different for in the gay community because yes gay people want to end you know what we consider to be discrimination on the basis of gender in marriage, and so there therefore we are you know we are looking for legal marriage generally as opposed to like you say what the what the polygamists are looking for, and I think in both cases both groups are kind of. Not too excited about getting hitched to the other group in terms of this argument. So on the gay side, you know, it what we sort of see this as is that this is the slippery slope argument. You, you know, that that Republicans have actually explicitly made first. You know, first of all, have gay marriage. Then we're going to have all these fundamentalist polygamous Mormons getting married to each other. And finally, you know, everybody's going to be married to their cats and their dogs. And this is this sort of slippery slope argument. Whereas, like you say, from the fundamentalist side. Fundamentalists are, generally speaking, highly conservative socially. Other than their polygamy, which is, most people don't consider to be socially conservative, but anyway, other than that, they have a fairly conservative social values, and they're not too keen on homosexuality. So,
3: well, one of the things that uh, that struck me about the Slate article about that we read, which John's going to post the link for, about the 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 Muslim polygynous marriages. Was that one of the clerics who marries polygamous couples says that you know if a man can have a hundred girlfriends and it's legal, I don't say you can't have more than one wife. So in that sense, there is a, the the fundamentalist Mormon the the fundamentalist Mormons do have a, I think a leg to stand on. This is a that this is a moral practice. This is marriage we're talking about. It's a commitment. It may not look like the kind of marriage that our monogamous, Amer- monogamous American society picks, but at least it is a commitment, uh, as opposed to the sort of you know serial uh, cohabitation and. Uh, uh, multiple partners that are actually very common in America today that, you know, nobody, nobody seems to blink an eye at. And I, I don't mean to sound all critical of that because, you know, I, I, I really don't have a dog in that hunt. But it, it, is a, it, it is interesting that this is portrayed as a moral issue by both sides, but from a different perspective, the other thing that I think is that whether or not the fundamentalists care that the, um, that there is any kind of legal recognition for their relationships is kind of irrelevant to me uh, because I think that by by codifying it that 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 can that has the possibility the, offers the potential of eliminating a lot of the abuses in some of the more extreme communities where that, you know, if you say, yes, you can have more than one wife, but you may not marry anyone under the age of 18, then instead of having to have the secrecy that you do and it being difficult for them to penetrate those communities, then the state can aggressively aggressively pursue those marriages polygamous marriages that are that do contradict the law that are against the law if it's if they're all illegal then it's harder for them to it it becomes harder for them i think to infiltrate and to choose which ones they'll prosecute and whereas if only certain ones are illegal which I I I wouldn't see any I I wouldn't I can't imagine anyone having any kind of problem with that a woman has to be of age to consent to enter into such a marriage. Then I would think that making prosecution of the abuses that that would make that a lot easier.
1: Yeah, and and that's certainly though that I think that certainly still would be the case with decriminalization. In other words, that's the argument. That if you were to just simply say, okay, polygamy itself is not a felony anymore, but rather we, what we are, but what still will be a crime, regardless of polygamy being criminalized or not, is an, you know underage, you know whether you're going to call it underage marriage or rather underage uh, sexual relationships, it's still going to be statutory rape and everything like that. So that's the that's without having to go through and codify what how. Polygamous property settlements and everything else like that works with a whole legalization program. The decriminalization program would accomplish, it, I think, exactly what Hans talked.
3: I think it wouldn't okay. be as clear though. I think it wouldn't be as clear because you know you can have monogamous relationships then that aren't prosecuted that are this that are this you know that are you know a nineteen-year-old a guy and a sixteen-year-old girl and you know it's 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 consenting and. You know, and it can be so, legal for them to get married, but it.
1: Well, but then you're I, talking I, about making a special, a special, some kind of special law where polygamists can't marry sixteen-year-olds, but monogamists can marry sixteen-year-olds, or what? Well, monogamists already
3: can marry sixteen-year-olds. I'm talking about making a special, a special rule for polygamy that if you enter into a polyg- polygamous marriage, you both have to be eighteen. You don't have to change the rules for monogamy to 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 add this when you. But when, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that if it's wrong one way, why wouldn't you just make well, everybody the wait whole... until they're consenting adults?
3: Well, I have I have no argument there, but that's not the way the laws stand now. And you know, fair and the law don't aren't always things that necessarily go together. Um, is that fair? Well, no. But you know, is it? Is it fair that a 15-year-old girl is married
1: to a 60-year-old
3: man say. against her will?
1: Uh, yeah, but what if it's a monogamist who's marrying a 15-year-old girl against her will yet who's, who's 60? I mean, you're saying that that's an exception because he's not a polygamist. I mean, I would say that if no, you're going to no, say no, that no, that's the no, wrong no, no, thing no. to do... Because if
3: a monogamist, if, if, if a 60-year-old man is marrying a 15-year-old girl... And it's a monogamous marriage it's going to be legal
1: but that but i think I'm suggesting that if you're saying that that should be illegal for polygamists to do it should also i mean why wouldn't that be just as because, as expensive if, if it's a monogamous doing that <laughs>
3: well it, i guess i guess what i what I'm getting at is is that if it's if it's a marriage that is not a there isn't that there isn't the whole problem of he's already married if he's not so if so there's going to be paperwork.
4: But, but, but Whereas the problem in polygamous marriage, married. there
3: isn't.
0: Tom, what were saying? Yeah.
2: I said that the problem here is not that the person's already married. The problem is that uh, it's a an older man forcing a younger woman in, into a marriage. Whether or not there are other wives involved is really peripheral. And and so maybe maybe there should be a law that you have to be eighteen to get married. Maybe it should change with monogamous too, but you can't have one law for one group and then one law for another because it, well, sure it needs can, not just for fairness, it, it,
1: but it'll get struck it, down. No, no, no. We we it believe because six... in the
2: United States, right in the Constitution, we have got equal protection under the law. I mean that would, in, in in John Hamer's right, that would be struck down in a moment for that reason.
3: So you can't you cannot make a law that says in order to enter into a polygamous marriage, you must be eighteen, even though. And if there are laws in place that say that in order for, for example, a 16-year-old girl to get married, she needs to have parental consent and approval of a judge,
4: which it is the case to, in
2: some places, it would, be, it would have to be the same for both monogamous and polygamous. You can't have one set of rules for monogamous and one set of rules for polygamist. It's not fair and it's also not legal. It's not constitutional.
0: Well, let me just. Uh, I, this is this is a good conversation. Let. Um, let me segue it a bit because we're bumping okay. up against the end. I, if that's okay. And do you want to have a final word on the thing before we?
3: Oh, are we doing our rant or are we No, just no, 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 to... no.
0: I, I was just going to mention no, a couple. No, I don't have anything more to say. Okay, no, on that point. Okay, so. um Can I have one ju- thing in, John? Oh, no, please. I, I wasn't going to close it. I was just going to move on from that thread.
2: Yeah, on that thread. I want to throw something in before we move on. Okay. Is, is John Hamer, you mentioned just a minute ago. Um, it is one that's been made actually explicitly by Republicans that if we allow gay marriage, then we have to allow polygamous, right? right. Sure, that's yeah, really a specious, that, that we end up with a slippery slope. That's really a specious argument. I really think it's a, a, a very illogical one. Um, consenting adults should be allowed to enter into whatever relationships they want, whether it's two guys and two girls or one guy and four girls or one girl and four guys, two guys, two girls, whatever the case may be. And it really doesn't erode the meaning of the other relationships that are there. So I, I don't see that letting polygamists into the tent of marriage and of, of not just decriminalization but codification really has any, uh, long-term negative impacts or a slippery slope that leads to some disastrous end. I, I, I've, I've, I've never seen that and I, I hope that someday, uh, we get to a point where, where we're more accepting of, um, uh, of all consenting adults in the in the relationships that they choose.
0: So, Tom, you're not crazy about the family being under attack, uh, threats and and rhetoric, huh?
2: No, the sanctity of my marriage is what I make it to be. It Has nothing to do with wh- wh- whether marriages occur outside of my marriage. My marriage is, is sanctified by what I do inside of my marriage. It Has nothing to do with what happens outside of my marriage. Right, if, that, it, that, if
1: we were worried about what's happening outside of outside of Tom's marriage, then Britney Spears would be, you know, busily assaulting his marriage. Right. right. Exactly.
0: So yeah. we'd be making laws against her
1: doing all those sort of things. I, and and what I would say is that I'm not I'm not opposed to codifying this whole thing for polygamists, but it is a lot more complicated than just that. When when they when when um, marriage on the marriage discrimination on the basis of gender was eliminated in Canada or what we, we people call gay marriage, although people who are gay came, are married or whatever, it's just based on gender. When you could say now two men can get married to each other, two women, that all that had to change in the Canadian law code was one single word. You know, so they just eliminated one word and then that, and then all of a sudden it's all, you know, it's completely changed so that you now don't discriminate on the basis of gender in marriage. Okay, but if you were to now go and codify exactly how polygamy works, it's 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 very complicated. I mean, you have health insurance benefits here in the United States where one spouse gets health insurance. Well, what happens if you have, you know, eight spouses? You have immigration exactly. rights, so if a guy who's a who's decided that he's a, a Mormon prophet and he knows that the Nephites or the Lamanites are Mayan women and he starts importing, you know, eighty Mayan women up from you know Mexico and starts a little factory or something like that, I mean, how can you, you, he would theoretically be allowed to do it anyway? So you'd have to do a lot to figure out wow. how to codify
0: it. Yeah, the the Is, effects if- on business and the effects on immigration alone would be potentially disastrous
3: and, well, it'd, and it'd be I a don't big loophole you have to codify it. yeah i do want to throw out that i did i didn't actually ever say that i think it would be simple for the state to have an interest in legalizing or codifying polygamy I didn't I don't think I ever used the word simple to describe the process
1: no I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I mischaracterized what you're saying (laughs) very
3: complicated to do and I don't think it's just as simple as saying okay well this is the rule for these people so this has to be the rule for these people it's not that simple and it, it is going to be very complicated and that's probably a huge impediment to even the will to do it yeah is that it would be very complex
0: Hey, John, I was going to ask you, um, and this is sort of a joke, or I hope you take it that way. Is it ever encouraging on the part of uh, homosexuals to know that there's someone on the other side of the slippery slope? In other words, <laughs> there's someone who's considered even worse Less socially acceptable than than gays in terms no, of no the... because I'm actually I'm not like because I'm completely
1: I'm completely don't have any problem with you know consenting adults have, you know practicing polygamy and everything like that so it's kind of like anyway. it's,
0: <laughs> no, it's kind of like that joke that the Mormons are really grateful for the Scientologists because right. there's someone who's who's weirder than them right <laughs> okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go around the horn and and ask a series of questions and have each of you. I'll put you on the hook to make a prediction, okay? So the first question is, will gay marriage ever be legalized in the United States? And if so, in how many you know years or decades? I'll start with uh, and. Prediction. Uh, yes. And how many years? I don't
3: know. Probably not in my lifetime.
0: So not in 40 years. Hey. Um, sixty years, not in sixty. Okay. Sixty
3: years, yeah, probably not in the next sixty years. Okay. Maybe, maybe my my great, maybe my
0: grandchildren will see it. Okay, Tom, what's your what's your prediction?
2: I, I say yes, and I actually say in the next twenty years, and it will be through the courts, and it will be very unpopular, much like um, civil Board rights versus Board of Education. But uh, that's how that's how it's uh, it's going to come. It's it's not going to come through uh, a political movement. It'll be a, a legal case. It, it'll be within. Our lifetime, there's no question about. It. I think within 20 years we're getting really close to it.
0: 20 years, okay, John Hamer.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to definitely be within that time frame. But I think that it, I'm not sure that it will go through the courts, and I'm hopeful it doesn't go through the courts. I I, I would prefer it to be legalized, in, or yeah, whatever you want to say, to yeah, be legalized in a couple big states like New York and California, and then we'll go from there. But I mean, I don't. I mean, I, the last thing I think is that should happen is to go through the Supreme Court. Unfortunately. We have i mean in this way we have a such a an unbelievably radically conservative Supreme Court it's not like it's more likely to do things that are unpopular in a conservative way and piss off everybody else in the nation on that direction rather than you know uh, allow things that are unpopular in a liberal way that'll piss everybody off and have a reaction like Roe versus wade
0: okay all right so the so the next question is um will will polygamy ever be legalized in the United States? So Anne, I'll bring it back to you. I
3: I I don't see that. I mean, ever is a
0: really long
3: time, John. But okay. I mean, in the I, next
0: fifty it, to hundred years. I,
3: um, what I I I guess the way I see it happening is that um, the idea of marriage becomes differentiated from uh from a state sanction. That those two things are separated out. So there's civil, civil unions, civil unions for all, civil unions for all, exactly.
0: Okay. And
3: and then marriages become and and you can establish a civil union however you want. Okay. I mean, you know, I I mean, within reason, it has to be between you know, it, it has to be something that can be contractually binding, and then marriage is something that happens separately from the
0: state. Right. Okay. Tom.
2: Um, I don't know that it is, and, and it ends right, it ever is a long time. To have it be, to be, to be codified, that's the real question, and that would require that um, a substantial number of, of Mormon fundamentalists and Muslims would want that. And if they don't want that, then the most that we're ever going to see is decriminalization, which we're almost at, completely in practice, um, mm-hmm. though not formally in law. And, and so it really depends on if, if they want if, they, if they're not interested in it, it's not going to happen. Uh, but maybe maybe as some of these groups become more assimilated with the way these communities have been opened up with people like Attorney General Mark Shirliff here in Utah, who, by the way, has done a really fantastic job um, in opening those communities up. I, I don't think people really understand the, the impact that he's had. I, I think that maybe... As as an assimilate more, they'll recognize that marriage isn't just a a sacred union, but it's also a, a legal um, relationship that, that has really important consequences in a person's life. A- and so I guess in short, my answer is if, if polygamists want it, it can happen, but they're going to have to want it first. And right now, it doesn't look like most of
1: them do.
0: Okay. All right. John Hamer?
1: No additional insights. Those were both great answers. <laughs> okay.
0: Here's the here's the final question I'll ask, uh, and then we can s- close out this topic to the extent you guys want to, and do rants if you guys have something. But if polygamy were ever to be, ever to be legalized, what would the LDS Church do? Would they embrace it again, or heartily reject it? Anne.
3: Oh, uh, they would heartily reject it,
0: in spite of the heritage.
3: In spite of the heritage, that's it. The heritage has has been. Um, is is looked at it, I think the church considers themselves practicing the principle exactly the way that it 's acceptable, which is that a man can be sealed for eternity to more than one wife but only sequentially
4: right. um,
3: and the so and that fulfills the need if you think that there is a need for for plural marriage that does fulfill that need in an eternal context but no there's there's absolutely no will i think that if polygamy was legalized the the sound from the the church office building would be a deafening silence
0: okay all right tom what's your guess
2: i don't think i don't think a lot of people will say this is going to put the church in a difficult position i don't think it's going through at all the church is is so mainstream now all the leadership has to do is come out and say sim- six simple words. It's not required at this time, and it's done. It's taken care of, it, and nobody has to worry about it.
0: Does a contraction count as one word or two?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I did political science, not math.
0: <laughs>
2: anyway, but but that's but that's really it, though. All you have to do is say is it's not required at this time, and, it, and, and the dilemma's gone.
0: Right.
3: Or even better it's not authorized at this time. Because yeah, then, that is better. Because if, you say, because if you say it's not required, then that gives people the idea that it's something that they can do if they choose, and then the church has to figure out how to handle those people. If they just say it's not authorized at this time, then they're off the hook. Yeah. And, you know, there is an argument to be made. I'm sorry to keep harping on this. And Todd Compton makes this statement that Joseph Smith did not enter into any additional plural marriages during the last six months of his life and uh, I have read I, I am not sure where but I have read that William Law it, it, correct me if I'm wrong
1: William Marks, or Tom, William
3: William Marks, Marks okay, the
1: state claimed
3: that Joseph told him that polygamy was a huge mistake and it was going to destroy the church
4: before yeah, he was assassinated,
3: and uh, and if if and I realize that that there's probably as much of a political agenda to publicizing statements like that. Poli- by political, I mean in terms of justification of a particular faith viewpoint. Um, but if if that is the case, and I don't know why we would disbelieve why that is any less likely than an ordination by John Taylor in 1886, then you know, none of these people have a leg to stand on. If you're going back to Joseph Smith as the authority well, ex- for doing these except, things.
1: Except for that he was, I mean, we, we can't know precisely... You can't know precisely what Joseph Smith's plans were at the time of his death. So he may well have been moving in that direction. He told different things to different people, and maybe he told right. that to William Marks. He had he allowed Emma to burn up a revelation. He he told William Law that that he wasn't going to do it anymore, and he stopped. Like you say, Todd Compton has shown that he stopped conducting any more plural marriages. But they hadn't necessarily, you know, completely told everybody. Okay, this isn't going to happen. He might, the people might have just thought it was suspended or whatever until things. Till till things got quieter, and you know he right. was, you know, There were all kinds of things that he may have been planning to do at the time of his death. He may have been planning to move to Texas. That was a pretty serious serious option. But obviously, none of those things happened because he died. So.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I I hadn't. I I'd heard a little bit about that, but not. So a stake president claimed that Joseph told him the whole polygamy thing was a mistake. The presiding yeah,
1: stake does- president.
3: And and that it would destroy the church, wow. which obviously it did not. Obviously it did not.
0: It almost did. It surely almost did.
3: <laughs> yes. You and know, maybe if Joseph had lived, it would have.
0: You know, th- th- I'll, I'll close with this thought and then we can rant or whatever. But, man, this shows me that I don't understand human nature at all. Because if you would tell me, you know, if you would have told me there's going to be a religion that you know after f- 15 years of it really growing you know it's going to teach this doctrine or teaching that it claims is eternal and everlasting and it's going to be taught as a requirement for heaven and then uh 100 you know and then 60 years into its its existence it's going to do an about face and tell all its members never mind we're stopping it and then you fast forward you know 160 years and nobody's even going to really remember that it was a requirement. And they're going to even look upon that behavior as repugnant and, you know, as there being nothing more horrible than that thing. I wouldn't have thought that humans with reason would have the capacity to endure such a roller coaster. But not only have they endured it, you know, the LDS churches thri- thrived under, under you know, on that roller coaster. That just shows that humans are very malleable, you know
1: well it that institutions institutions change and evolve with the times I mean this is just what always you're going you can you can look now you trace the trace the the origin of the Republican party and go through all the different- you know directions and beliefs and views that it 's had all through it and same thing the Democrats i mean institutions simply evolve generation after generation, so i don 't think that the l d s churches is any more malleable or, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's less malleable. It doesn't change very fast. So I, I, I guess I would say that, you know, when you go back into history, you're going to find all, there were all kinds of different ways that the the Roman Catholic Church has behaved throughout its 2,000-year history, but it behaves the way it does now in, in all kinds of different ways just because institutions evolve just as time goes on.
4: Yeah, but LDS,
0: we... Oh, go ahead, Anne.
3: The LDS Church has... Uh, has a a very uh, solid uh, doctrine in their favor in making those things, and that is continuing an ongoing revelation. And the idea that what God requires at one time may be different from what God requires of another. The idea of, for example, I I don't know if any of you have heard this argument, but the idea that the eternal uh, covenant of marriage it means. The eternal is one of the names of God that it so it return, refers to a god like marriage um, that the new and everlasting covenant was actually eternal marriage now obviously the saints at that time didn 't understand it that way, but the saints of the time now still they they see the revelation as being the same they 're just interpreting what that thing is. Very differently, and I think one of the great um one of the great uh, muddles in the l d s church is the idea among the saints that the doctrine has never changed, that the doctrine is eternal and unchanging, and that's that 's quite obviously not true um, perhaps the um perhaps the underlying ideas. Have not changed, or the underlying terms—the terms have not changed—but the understanding of those terms is entirely different now than what it was 150 years ago, and that's actually a benefit for the church that they are able to make those kinds of adaptations. That's that's what's kept them alive.
0: I'll just I'll say this, and then I'll throw it to Tom for the final word on this segment, but. You know, it's one thing, John Hamer, for you to say that political parties have changed over time, but in Mormon theology, this is God's one true church, Uh, God speaks to prophets directly, prophets get revelation and write them in scripture, and then members are to follow the prophets and obey them. And the, the statements made by prophets and written in the scriptures seem so unambiguous that you know, you really have to define words opposite to their meaning, which Anne just sort of said, for us to sort of allow this all to carry through and not just see it as a huge, I don't know, how do do LDS people continue to believe in continuing revelation when subsequent revelations overturn and even undermine previous ones? It just shows how... um, how enduring faith and conviction can be—that's all. That people, people I, let me just say, we, can't are resilient. You,
1: we, I know everybody wants to say, but can't? I mean, can't we say that? Like, so for example, Christ, when Christ comes and gives the gospel, he totally overturns how many, how many centuries, how many books of law and everything like that, and says, "Well, that all that law—you don't have to. You know, you're not having to be uh, not eat cheeseburgers and all the other kinds of things that are in the law. You're not living kosher, John. You know, I mean, because Christ comes and he says." You know, there's, there are two great commandments, and that's what you have to worry about now, you know. And so, and so I think that you can, you can say, to look at all the scriptural precedents. You know, the, the religion that is revealed to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is different from the religion that's revealed to Moses. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're contradictory to each other. That is, as time goes on in a revealed religion, you're getting more prophets and there's new practice.
3: No yeah I know and Furthermore I know, but... and furthermore John your use of the terms overturn and undermine is is really unnecessarily negative. How about amplify, enhance and clarify? Well okay, I mean I'm not and I'm not you know it's well, really I, funny. I
1: don't know that overturn John, is a John, negative cuz
3: Well yeah okay but because overturn But undermine is, is to undermine is a, is okay. a
0: negative? No, but, I said least, I, no, when I used the word undermine what I meant to say was if 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 subsequent prophets say things that are the exact opposite of what was said previously that threatens to undermine prophetic authority. That's all. I wasn't and, saying for the members.
3: Okay, and the thing is, and the thing is is that the members have the prophets now that they have now. And there have been some very clear teachings by modern prophets that the prophets that matter are the prophets that we have with us now. Oh, well, for sure, but, but so there. I mean, it's built right into the the structure of the organization. The people you pay attention to are the people you have with us now, and their job is to cast the words of the earlier prophets. In a context of how God would have us live right now, yeah, yes, they're not changing things; they're casting it in the context of what God wants us to know now.
0: No, I totally, I totally understand. But there is a—it's a reasonably logical sort of um, conclusion to say: Look, if what the guy said twenty years ago is not true today. Then, what you're telling me now could also not be true. Um, and, and so, that's it's a sort of it's a totally reasonable conclusion for people to make. All I'm saying, sort of, to summarize, is religious beliefs are incredibly resilient, is sort of what I was trying to say. But let's give Tom yes. Grover the last word. I guess uh,
2: <laughs> to, to add to this question of malleability and, and change is I, I also, my personal way of dealing with a lot of that is to recognize that the Church is an institution with a divine commission with fallible people that are leading it. And I am one of those fallible people, so I have I have a fallible Church to which I belong, and I am a fallible individual, and inevitably there are going to be misunderstandings along the way and confusion uh, to, to some degree, but to, to hold to the core principles and to that that special divine commission that, that I do believe that the Church has, um, regardless of, of uh, some of the wrinkles that happen along the way. Um, back, back to polygamy itself, I guess, is I really hope, uh, personally, and this is going to start sounding cheesy, one day for, for a time when people in the United States and the world can begin to accept others who have different moral systems and different lifestyles than they do. The, the friction over polygamy has existed because of, of uh, pri- primarily or secondarily, because of people's inability to accept that lifestyle. And I think it's extremely unfortunate. It was unfortunate in the 19th century, and it's unfortunate today, and I hope that one day it ends. I'm never going to be interested in, in practicing polygamy. Uh, the, the Church is never going to do it again. But I have uh, a, a sincere sympathy for our, for the those uh, Mormon fundamentalists today that, that receive uh, uh, not so much problems from the government, but are at least turned into circus acts by the media. Uh, and that happens a lot. And I feel bad that that's, that's what's happened. Uh, and, and they're viewed as, as kind of weirdos by the outside. Because I don't think they're in their day-to-day lives are probably that much different than you and I are. Yeah. So that's that's my my ending two cents
0: all right well thanks for that Tom I didn't um I didn't ask you guys whether any of you were prepared rants so I'll just ask uh, who prepared a rant
3: oh I've got a rant all right Ann, you start okay I had on the airplane in New Orleans this morning with uh two carry-ons and a purse and One of the carry-ons was, both of the carry-ons were full, and one of them was my computer. Uh, I thought that it would be likely that I might have to gate-check one of the carry-ons when I got to Memphis. Well, I got to Memphis, and darned if they didn't tell me that my purse was my only carry-on. So what am I going to do with my computer? This has never happened to me before, ever. I've made this trip probably 10 times in the last year and a half minimum that i've made this new orleans to memphis to columbus flight and this this and he and he's he's in my face if you don't want to check one of those bags we'll just leave you right here it's like dude i'm happy to comply but i can't check my purse and i can't check my computer Help me out here. Tell me what to do. So I ended up having to take my computer out of its nice, secure, comfy case and carry it all by its little self onto the airplane <laughs> on a half on a half empty airplane with with tons of room in the overhead bins. <laughs> oh man! So that's my rant. Okay, don't fly. I, don't I, fly Northwest.
0: I'm waiting for the Mormon connection in that rant, and.
3: Oh, does there have to be a Mormon
1: connection? No. <laughs> she was discriminated I mean, the against last because she's Mormon. Heard was they only the do last... that, They only do that to Mormons.
3: Okay. I <laughs> mean, you know, the last rant David King I heard David King landreth give was, you know, everybody go watch the new Rocky. Movie. Go see
0: the new Rocky movie, Just Okay.
3: So at all, I I didn't know there had to be a Mormon.
0: Connection. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. I'll take I'll take that one, Anne.
3: Don't fly Northwest.
0: Don't fly Northwest. Okay. Great. <laughs> Or how about how about only take the uh, appropriate number of carry-ons on a flight? Oh, no, no. I what is a
3: professional woman supposed to do? I have a purse. I have a computer. Okay? What am I supposed to
0: do? It,
3: go out and buy a brand-new bag. You know, spend 50 bucks I don't have so that I can carry this stuff. It's just <sighs> stupid.
0: Don't cross Ann Porter is the rant that it should be.
3: You know, fat, you know, fat lot. Of, you know, all I'm doing is yelling, Don. I didn't accomplish anything.
0: <laughs> All right, John Hamer, do you have a rant for us? Uh, can
3: uh, I interrupt a... your... I'm sorry. I really need to interrupt here. That was so cathartic, gentlemen. Thank you. Oh,
0: good.
1: <laughs> good. It's our pleasure. <laughs> Mine's not a rant. I just wanted to point out that I've been broadcasting with some difficulty from Jackson County, Missouri, the place that <laughs> Joseph Smith identified as Zion. And, uh, you know, I've been spending the week here uh, at, the, at the temple lot where – there's a, you know Within just a few block radius, there are several interesting Latter-day Saint churches. The temple lot itself is where the Church of Christ temple lot is. Across the street is the Community of Christ Temple. And on the other corner is the LDS Visitor Center. And nearby is the headquarters of the Remnant Church, the headquarters of the Cutlerite Church. So it's just a fun place to come and, come and visit.
0: <laughs> so you're feeling, you're feeling the uh, LDS spirit there in extra concentration.
1: I am and and now that I've been here in Zion I'm going to the other Zion tomorrow.
0: Oh, so I'll right. So it's all like. Right. All right, well excellent. Um thanks for that John and uh Tom, you got a rant for us?
2: Um <laughs> go see the new Simpsons movie <laughs> since I, I
4: guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And oh one more, one more. And and I I've been I've been mocked for saying this to other people but I'm going to say it publicly again. Everyone needs to go see John Travolta and Hairspray. It's hilarious. You'll <laughs> die. It is so funny. I'm serious about that. Do it Do it uh, this next week.
0: I, I think people are going to start turning off our rants once they start if we keep this up. <laughs> It'll be a little Cisco and Ebert. Two thumbs up for Born Supremacy. All right. Well, am I, I guess I'll, I don't have a rant, but I'll just uh, end by saying that... Uh, some of you may have heard that I've just been made the executive director of uh, Sunstone Education Foundation. Um that's uh it's it's been uh, something that um I don't know that it's been a real pleasure for me to get to know the people at Sunstone and to um have the opportunity to help move that organization forward a bit. Uh Sunstone has a very proud tradition of uh living under its motto which is faith, seeking understanding uh, it, it gained a reputation in the late '80s, early '90s of being an organization of dissent. But if you if you go back and look at the articles and the speeches given in the '80s, and and then in the late '90s and early 2000s, uh, and all throughout, you'll have people like Hugh Nibley presenting at Sunstone, Richard Bushman, uh, Daniel Peterson, Lou Midgley, uh, Blake Osler, There's always been a rich tradition. Uh, over time, of of multiple voices being expressed. Uh, The vast majority of Sunstone articles and presentations have always been pro-LDS and pro-Mormon. But because of sort of some understandable but unfortunate events that happened in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, there's a degree to which Sunstone suffers from a a reputation as being dangerous and uh, something to shy away from. But I just want to ask everyone to consider... Giving Sunstone uh, a chance, if if you've never, you know, picked up a magazine or come to a symposium before, or if if you felt burned at, at some point or or disinterested and and put Sunstone down or decided to write them off, I would consider everyone to. I, I would I would uh, urge everyone to consider giving Sunstone a second chance. I can tell you that uh, going forward, as I work with Dan Witherspoon and the board and others that our goal is to make Sunstone a place where Mormons can, in in an independent and safe way can pursue their faith, can pursue their beliefs, can discuss openly issues that concern them in a way that hopefully is going to make everybody stronger and uh, everyone edified. So that's my plug for Sunstone, and thank you guys for your patience with that. And I think I'm going to see all of you next week.
1: This is going yes. to be the first time I'm, I've ever been, so I'm very I'm looking forward to it.
3: Don, John Hamer, are you going to come to the sing-along? I, I got to. You'll,
1: you'll just have to send me the details, and I'll come to the sing-along.
3: There's, okay.
0: there's okay. literally a sing-along, Ann?
3: Yeah. Christine Hagelin Harris promoted it. Oh, okay. Is that not really a sing-along?
0: I, I wasn't sure if she was joking or what, but maybe we'll make sure it becomes one.
3: Oh, I kind of thought we were all going to get to sing.
0: That'd be awesome. Okay, we'll uh, do it.
3: Well, you mean I, I was I taking things literally again? No, I don't
0: know. I don't know. If if so, you came by it honestly. And and Tom, you'll be there too, so uh, it's going to be fun.
4: Yes. 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 Yes.
0: All right. Well, let, I just want to thank all my guests, uh, Ann, John Hamer, and uh, Tom Grover. Thanks so much for your. Wonderfully fascinating and stimulating uh, observations and thoughts.
2: Thanks it's been a lot of fun. fun. It was good, it was good to so talk fun. with John and Ann, too. Yeah.
0: yeah thanks.
3: It was fun. Thanks for, thanks for asking me back, John.
0: Oh, no problem. You guys are brilliant. So uh, with that, thank you for joining us uh, at Mormon Matters Podcast. We uh, You can you can find us at mormonmatters.org up on the Internet. Uh, please email us at mormonmatters at com If you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to comment on this episode or any past episodes. Uh, we and pre- by
3: Sky Pixton's music.
0: Oh yeah, by Sky Pixton's music and her brother Clayton. They're good people. So uh, with that, thank you all again for tuning in, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care. To hear more of this wonderful music, please check out claytonpixton.com. That's C L A Y T O N P I X T O N.com. Thank you very much.